Audio conversation with Elaine Douglas, recorded October 15th, 2013. I first uh, heard Elaine Douglas, I think, on a podcast that was done by Karen Dolan. This might be going back all the way to around 2009, uh, maybe even before that. I then, um, while driving through uh, the town she lives in, she lives in Utah, I stopped in. I called her up and said, hey, let's meet. And I stopped in, and she had a new kitten, a new black kitten, which charmed me. And then uh, she needed some help putting a tree, planting a tree in the backyard. She had bought a tree, and so uh, her and I uh, worked together, and I got the shovel out and dug a big hole. And and, uh, so it was very interesting. The very first time we met, um, we were doing some sort of busy stuff like that. Now, Elaine has a... Uh, a dark outlook on this overall phenomenon, much darker than the majority of the folks I uh, interview on this podcast. And and I think the reason I seem to gravitate towards the more optimistic folks to interview um, is in a way because that's the way I want it to be. I want it to be very beautiful and optimistic. I've talked about this before where I'm very... Uh, empathic in a way where I can sit and listen to someone tell a very uh, beautiful angelic story about these these events, and I get all sucked in. I get it's I get I just get dragged into their narrative, and I and I feel their emotions, and uh, and then I also do, the same thing happens when I talk to people who have a much darker uh, overview of this this phenomenon. You know, I equally get dragged in. I see their side of it. I see their point of view. Uh, now, and, uh, and Elaine and I have had a lot of late night, uh, phone calls back and forth. Uh, we'll talk to each other frequently and, uh, about, um, these issues. She's heard a lot of my experiences. Uh, she has been a remarkable resource in a way. She's very, very well informed about the overall, uh, phenomenon. She's done a lot of very deep research and uh, she was MUFON state director for a decade. So besides the uh, uh, the more outlying abduction stuff that is the focus of her, of her own uh, personal research, she's done a lot of lights in the sky reporting, uh, looking at, uh, at, at the phenomena through the eyes of folks who are seeing uh, just a little fleeting dot in the sky, and then they call MUFON, and then they write up a report. I guess I guess my point here was that uh, uh, that that odd empathy that's in me, boy. When I talk to her, I really get I get dragged right into this uh, this viewpoint, uh, which is it's quite grim. She makes no bones about it, and I think she says it several times throughout the interview that her uh, her outlook is very cynical as far as the uh, agenda of these um, UFO occupants. Now, the very first thing she says in the in the interview, which just got started, she just rolled right into it. And and, and the question that uh, I sent her, I sent her a list of maybe 10 questions or so. We got to a couple of them. But the one thing that she said, you know, uh, the only thing that really matters on your list of questions is the first one. And I'll read that here off this list. Um, you are doing ongoing abduction research. How did this start? What have you concluded? What do you see as their agenda? And for the next two hours, we talk about that. Now, I also want to add a warning here. Uh, a very about a half hour into the interview, uh, we do discuss some very graphic details 
of uh, the memories of an abductee. Um, I I thought for just a second maybe I should snip that out, and I think it's easier to just um, just to give you this warning. Uh, it's graphic, it's sexual in nature, and and it's not the stuff for children. Uh, now I have I have every confidence that she is being honest, and it points to a very bleak outlook uh, to this to this phenomenon. And I also want to add that there are a lot of folks out there who kind of do the audio interview podcasting radio circuit. You know, they do a lot of uh, you know interviews. They're always out there. Um, Elaine is a is a rare voice to show up on these uh, this type of podcasting thing. You know, these kind of audio interviews. And uh, when you listen to it, you, you you'll understand why certain folks will shy away from her. Uh, she is not going to entertain. The listening audience, the way a lot of guests on, uh, let's say, coast to coast do, and and that uh, that seems unfair to me because I feel like although she does not have uh, the mainstream conclusions that uh, folks within the UFO community might have come to, uh, I feel that her conclusions, her ideas, and um, in a way, her warning, it needs to be heard, and perhaps I need to hear it a little more clearly. I say this over and over again, I am curiously agnostic about the entirety of this phenomenon. I don't know whether it's a massive psychological projection from from our collective unconsciousness or whether it is uh, exactly as she is portraying it, something uh, very physical with a, an agenda that, uh, that we need to uh, that we need to look at with a very critical eye. This interview is just a couple minutes longer than two hours. Uh, now, what I usually start the show is I say, please enjoy. Uh, this one is, is going to be tough to enjoy. What I will say is, please pay very close attention. Here we go. Hello, Elaine Douglas. Elaine, this is Mike Cleland. Yes, indeed. How so, are how you doing, Mike? Very good. How are you? Oh, fine. I was just sitting here thinking. Reading, trying to marshal my thoughts. Okay, well, I mean, now, just so you know, I've uh, when I do these interviews, I edit them. So if your thoughts get a little unmarshaled, you can take a deep breath and start all over again. And I'm I'm totally open to that because I need to do that sometimes. <laughs> I hear you. And if you sneeze or if you need to get a drink of water, we can just uh, put it on pause and come right back and pick oh, up. Oh, sure. We... Well, I thought that the first question you posed on your note to me was, really the only one that matters, which is why are the ETs here? You know, what's their agenda? What do they want? And I think you compassed in that. What is the nature of the abductions? You know, I started out on this like a lot of other people. Like, you know, really wide-eyed and optimistic. (laughs) I remember the first letter when I, I, I heard Bud Hopkins talking on the radio. It was the mid-80s. I remember this letter I wrote to him, which was so full of enthusiasm and curiosity. And I'm still curious, but I'm not enthusiastic anymore. And I started out uh, hopeful about it all. And um, then I did a study 
for I did it for um the fun for UFO research. They never they paid for it but they you know they didn't do anything with it. I think I don't so I studied about twelve abductees at that time. This was what, eighty five? So how long ago was that? Yes, that's almost uh, twenty five years ago. It's almost over twenty five years ago. Yeah, it's getting close to thirty years ago. Yes, right. That's right. And frankly, Mike, I saw it right away after I did that study. And I think part of it part of my ability to see it, as I say, had to do with my training in business. Because I'm a sales trainer and um I'm I'm real alert to um the use of power in human relationships and and how people subtly manipulate each other or not so subtly and 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 in, in intimidate in subtle or very strong ways or yeah manipulation between people in business. Um because my job as a sales trainer is to is to alert my students to what's going on around them and show them how to short circuit it or turn it off or get around it. You know, neutralize the threats of of people manipulating them in in interpersonally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um I think it was that orientation really um, also, I, you know, as a political science major, and I define political science as the, the subject about the distribution of power in society. So apparently I'm pretty concerned about that. I'm pretty sensitive to the use of power in social systems. And, um, and so as soon as I got a, a good strong whiff of the um, what the ETs were doing with the abductees, you know, I, I knew right away what I was smelling. And um, and I didn't like it. And I have never liked it. And, um, I mean, you know, you could take the gross features of the abductions, like you could say, well, things that come in the night are, are, are not to be welcomed. Yeah. You know, gross features like that, um, which are real good clues but I always looked deep into it, and what I saw was um, beings who basically are on a long-term basis operating to get control of the abductees to um, finally realize it was to... to do enough things with the abductee that the abductee was rendered uh, an, an adherent or a devotee of the, of the alien, basically creating a cadre of people that are loyal to them. And I'm pretty sure that they can't do this unless they start in very early childhood. And they, they are um, immensely patient about it. And they work for decades on individuals 
uh, till finally reach a point of capitulation where the abductee really um, has no more resistance and is um, is converted. Now, the the initial uh, yeah, the initial yes. twelve people that you worked with. Are you still in touch with any of those folks? I don't think so. I mean, as you pointed out, it was thirty years ago. Yeah. But what what made you bring that up? Just I was just curious because if you did, you see this pattern right away in those initial twelve folks that were part of the yes. study. Right, I did. And and what type uh, of what were you seeing? Just like give examples of what type of. Uh, interaction or, or, or what they the were displaying? That, the way this process works is that it's, um, is that the individual is captured. In other words, he's, he's dramatically taken from a normal situation into a, into a, not only a, to, a totally unfamiliar situation where he's at the mercy of, of, a, of, a, of a completely unexpected, unknown, and very powerful source. This is what you call a trauma. I just wrote trauma. As you were speaking, I wrote trauma on the piece of paper. I'm taking some notes. Yes. Right. And so you, you, even, even though you're, you're with some, some, some persons or some forces that you uh, probably deplore, yet you have to rely on those forces for your safety. In other words, you, it's, actually, it's interesting because, um, what's his name? Um, oh, his name escapes me. Um, the abductee. Oh, Jim Sparks? Uh, yes. Yes, Jim Sparks. I, I found, you know, this whole story is so difficult to tell. It, 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 but with Jim Sparks' book, I wrote a whole article about his book in, for JAR. And um, because his book has an awful lot of the elements of it, uh, of the progression of how they convert you and destroy your will um, in one book. And in his case, you know, he was actually taken. Usually, people are walked out of their house. But in his case, it was it was this extreme. He's captured by a whirlwind, a seemingly unnatural force. You know, not not a personality. Yes, of, he, of a yeah, he referred to like it as. Oh, he referred yeah. to it as being taken the hard way. It almost he sort of describes like basically sitting there in his bed and then being like sucked through another reality, almost like a yes. crazy, you know, yes. roller coaster ride that was way too fast. Way too fast into a whirlwind. Yeah. And and so the first thing that happens to you then are these traumas. And um you actually have to rely on the force this totally unfamiliar force. You're forced to rely on it, even though you, all you want to do is get away from it. You have to rely on it, and that's the that's the really the first beachhead that that is you've gotten in your personality. Of course, um, in childhood, different things are done. You know, I, I childhood there's a preparation, and Jim Sparks said uh, he frankly bragged about. He remembered everything that ever happened to him, but he didn't, because there was there was uh, thirty years that preceded when his memories began. Memories begin when he's an adult, but it it was clear from hypnosis he did with Bud Hopkins that there was much more that happened. And you know how they what they do with kids, you know they go in and they they play with kids, 
the the children's memories tend to be rather benign. That you know, with the story that comes out from from children's accounts tends to be very, um, you know, benign and pleasant and simplistic and and yes, playing and and uh, almost and introducing at times like psychic skills and stuff. But yes, yeah, so that's my the way I see it and just and I don't have. Let me just start over again. You know, the, the the from my from what I've read and absorbed through the literature, it seems like things get very challenging, and the really scary stuff actually happens, um, you know, after puberty. Like, what would be the you know the sexual maturity of the of the child? You know, that's a um, that's a generalization. What you just stated. Because there's there's an element of that, there really is. But the, but there's many accounts from childhood that are dreadful. Okay, yeah, and and uh, agreed, yeah. And and I was being, uh, I was generalizing, being very simplistic. I I, I, I understand. Yeah. There's a temptation to do that. This, this thing is so complex that we want to smooth some parts of it out and say, well, for God's sakes, please whip into shape so we can see what you are. Yeah. Yeah. And there's always this temptation to, 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 to rule out the, the the different cases and say, okay, these this is the way it is, you know. Yes, or or cherry pick exactly the cases you want to right. to prove your point. And that and the problem now is that it's not that we don't have enough data; it almost feels like we're overwhelmed with data and right. we have too right. much information. So so it's very easy for a researcher to come to a conclusion early and then just cherry pick the, the, the cases that he wants to support, you know, to support that data. Who's that researcher in Texas? Um, very independent guy, not in any organization. Oh, oh, what's his name? The, the alien hunter, um, Daryl Sims? Daryl Sims. Yeah. He's, we printed in jar an excerpt from his book, which is an, an absolutely dreadful account from when he was a very small child. Yes. Yeah. So there's a, there's one more. This is something just uh, in the list of uh, uh, UFO abduction researchers who are actually abductees. He he would be one himself. I have a very hard time with him. I don't agree with everything he says, and uh, and uh, but you know I still pay attention to what he says. He's a difficult personality, and he's very aggressive in conversation. There's no give and take. Yeah. You just sit there and listen to him, or or else. <laughs> that's that's my sense. Yeah. So. <laughs> And then also my sense is that personality quirks are going to arise more often than not. Odd personality quirks, unusual, challenging personality quirks are going to arise uh, more often in people who have had this experience. Um, So in a way, if I meet someone and they're very even keeled and they're very together and they're very grounded and and, uh, and then they say I'm an abductee, I'm kind of like, ooh, wait a minute, you know, like that's almost a red flag if they're too well balanced. Right, I know exactly what you mean. Um, the, the that fellow with a French name, very difficult to pronounce. He died. Um, um, social scientist did research for MUFON. Actually, did some research in MUFON um, before he died, which was about would it be about four years ago, I guess. He found that the childhoods of abductees are extremely disordered. That was his finding. Yes, and the, and it's also the the uh, which is, doesn't get mentioned very often, but I've heard it said more than once is that you know oftentimes 
uh, children. There's a there's a upsetting pattern of children who have experienced um, sexual abuse in yeah. their childhood that that later go on to tell stories of of human abduction. Yeah. The the implication is, which I can't quite support, um, is that they are, they're confabulating and and mixing the two up somehow. Um, the allegations of incest, you mean, are mi- mixed up with the abductions? Well, that they would then, as adults, say, oh, I have this experience in my life. It's called, you know, the, the UFO abduction experience. And then it's very easy for a debunker to say, like, oh, well, you know, this person is showing signs of childhood sexual abuse. And oh, we yes. can throw the whole yeah. case into the trash can because it's obviously nothing. It's, it's obviously not UFO contact. It's something, yeah. you know, very uh, terrestrial that's taken place um, and and the and the uh, memories have gotten all jumbled up in the in the uh, victim. When I hear um, a finding like that, French social scientist said that childhoods of abductees are very disordered. Um, what I worry about is that that they're purposely made so. Um, because if you if you weaken a personality. In childhood, uh, you know, obviously, you're going to have a far easier time in using that individual when they become adults. You see what I'm getting? At? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, that's very clear that they, you know, that they would be uh, the perfect candidate. You know, that that if you were seeking out some someone for mind control, you know, you might, if you were some in a bureaucratic office doing uh, nefarious studies for the government, let's say. Uh, and you wanted a subject for mind control, you would probably search the files of a psychiatrist or a psychologist looking for someone with a very troubled childhood. One of the things that rings through my mind from this, these 12 cases is um, one or, or not possibly two people who said that when they were small children, they were told, your mother doesn't love you. Your mother doesn't love you. And, and they were told this mother's, by the aliens? Mother's going, oh yes, your mother's going away and never comes back. Mother doesn't love you. And that would be, that's, that would be very undermining. What I also hear these cases of people who, who were so miserable as small children, and they say, they'll tell you, the only person that knew me and understood me was the alien that used it they would visit me, and they understood all the dreadful things I was going through at home with my family. And they were the one who held my hand and um, comforted me and thoroughly understood me. What, what, what I worry about is that the circumstances that were causing the great distress were possibly engineered by the ETs. And then they, I mean, my cynicism about their cynicism knows no bounds, really. Uh, I wouldn't put a pass them for a minute. <laughs> they engineer these bad circumstances for kids, and then they pose themselves as their their friend, the only one who understands them. I'm, I'm talking now to a woman in um, back east. She's actually died of cancer. Well, it's a conversation about her life, going over her whole life. She's an abductee. And 
she's got these memories from early childhood. One memory where she's she's only two, sitting in the bathtub, and her father comes in, and he thrusts his finger into her vagina, and and she looks up and she sees a pillion standing behind her, standing there taking it in. Says to me, he was thoroughly enjoying it. I said, well, you know, what gave you that impression? And so on. It's it's you, you know you just uh, I'm really worried about all. Now was that memory that this woman had was that retrieved through hypnosis or was that consciously remembered? And you know it might be a false memory, but what she thinks that you know as we went over her life in great detail. This is what you have to do. If people have been abducted, you know, uh, um, it's not about any one event that happened. You look at their entire life. You don't look at their entire life. You can't put the story together. And we're trying to put the story together of her life, and it looks to us like she was the victim of incest from her father, and it looks to us like her father was an abductee, as well as her. And we think maybe it was instigated. Instigated, right. orchestrated by the, let's say, that, that reptilian that was standing in the, in the room. Right. As, right. If, as if he was pulling the, the puppet strings. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, somebody listening to this conversation will say, well, you sure have a negative way of interpreting things, Elaine? <laughs> I don't know. That's the way I see it. Well, I, and I and I will say that I've had a lot of people on this this you know podcast series that have mm-hmm. a very positive way of interpreting these things, and yeah. um, and I try to be uh, as agnostic as I can be in in the process uh, of of sort of doing my own research and trying to formulate my own ideas about this. And I, and uh, so, yeah, there is a, there is, there's a very divergent set of, of reports and experiences. Some of them are. And that's what they're supposed to think, you know, I mean, that's what the conversion, the capitulation is all about. So what, how would you summarize their basic, they're saying that, the intention of the of the ETs to come here is to help us elevate spiritually. That is, that, is, that is a very yeah that that would that's a one sentence definition and that that comes through a lot yeah. Right, and so they're positing these interstellar missionaries. Um, I guess I had a little too much political science training. Uh, I I see the ETs as a foreign nation. A foreign nation is a nation with interest. And I, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I just have to go with what I am and what I, how I've learned to analyze life in many decades of my life, uh, which is that, you know, nobody pays for the trip here just to go and help somebody. I can't escape the feeling that they're here to get something. And I've, I've had that feeling as soon as I started looking at them closely, that they're here to get something. Yep. And 
And I, if, if I, I'm going to barf if I hear one more time somebody say to me, well, you know, if they were here to hurt us, they could bomb this planet to smithereens in, in, a, in a hot minute. You know, as though there could be no jeopardy. You know, why would you do that? Why would you bomb the planet to smithereens? Did anybody read Sun Tzu? Where, where where he tells you, you know, the best kind of war is where you don't fire a shot. Yep. I mean, th- this planet is a paradise. It, you know, and it, it, you ask yourself, what has value in the universe? Planets. And, and, and our planet is abundant in so much, you know, I mean, I just, I have no, I'm having never been to another planet. I don't know what other ones are like, but I can, I just, my sense is that the one we live on is just, you know, uh, has a wealth of genetic diversity and things in the ocean and things on the mountaintops and, and, uh, things in the jungles and, and, uh, uh, it, to me, I mean, I'm just thunderstruck at how amazing our planet is. Yes. It's a paradise. It's a paradise. And, 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 you know, it's Hawaii. I mean, you know, Hawaii is now a state of the United States. So we obviously wanted it. And other countries wanted it before we made it a state. But they didn't go and bomb Hawaii to smithereens. Yeah, there was combat, though, to get it to take it. I was in, uh, you know, the, the, the Hawaiian, I can't remember when it actually was. I'm, I'm, I'm blending my memories with the, you know, reading about the, conquest of the philippines which was very bloody that took place in the turn of the last century yes and combat which was not of a magnitude that would destroy hawaii yes it, yeah you know and if you want combat i think you can get combat here and now if you read the accounts of the united states air force trying to get close to or force down the UFO. I mean, they'll they'll obliterate you in in a hot minute if they get annoyed with what you're doing with your US efforts. And you know, that had to be um a watershed for this government. Because it, it had to it had to happen. No, now talking now about the human response to the ET presence, the government response, not the people's response, but the government's response had to unfold in a certain way, mainly that we learned that they were not from here, from Roswell, if not before, and then we would have tried to shoot them down. Which, but there's every indication that we did try to shoot them down in... Um... Right. The fifties, and I, there's even a book. I this Frank Fraschino wrote a book called "Shoot Them Down," didn't he? He did. Yeah, he did. Absolutely. And you know, we would have found out that we couldn't shoot them down. And then they must have had a big meeting down on the ground. You know, because what what do you got now? You know, you got somebody who's here, who's going all over your world, um, at will. And you have no control over it. And that's a problem if you're a nation state. See what I mean? And at the same time, someone in that room 
must have, you know, set a folder down on the table and said, you know, well, here's some more information we're gathering. There seems to be an indication that uh, human abductions are taking place. I, I have no right. idea when those that when the uh, government may or may not have been aware of that. Um, I, I assume it was well before Betty and Barney Hill, though. Yes, I have a I have a date that I use for that. Wrong or right? It's 1953. And the reason I have that date is because I met a woman in Maryland years ago who told me that in 1953 she met a soldier there at a Maryland um, military base. And he said to her, words to these, this effect, they're taking our people, they're kidnapping our people. And... I re- always remember that she told me that he told her that in 1953. So, for one of a better date, that's the date I use. But once that was determined, then you've got a real problem. Because from their point of view, the military, you've got a real security problem if somebody's taking you for unknown purposes. And I do believe, Michael, that um, while our government undoubtedly has assiduously studied propulsion technologies of the aliens all these years to try to duplicate those propulsion technologies, and maybe they have. I believe they've spent as much time studying the mind control technologies as the aliens use on the abductees as they did studying propulsion. And I think you're seeing the manifestation of it now. If you go on the Internet, everywhere you look, it's TIs. T is in targeted eyes an individual. There is some kind of a really big program to apply. Um, we don't even have an agreed upon word for it. Uh, psychotronic weapons to unwitting Americans and worldwide. Uh, that these people are being affected in very, very negative ways. And I don't think they're abductees, although some of them might be. But there's a bunch of them that don't appear to be abductees. They don't know nothing from ETs. They All they know is they're being tormented and dealt with remotely. Nobody ever comes in their house. In in way, you know, and and, and then... If you look in the literature now, you can find that there's patents for voice to skull. Yes, and I know Nick Begich has, has talked about this. That's at right. Length. Yeah, that's right. If you read his books, you can find out a great deal about it. And there's a few other books. And voice to skull. Well, where do you think they got that idea? You know, where do you think the that the CIA and the and the DIA and all those people got the idea for that? And all the other things that they're using, all the uh, other kinds of um, um, energies that they're they're zapping people with. But yeah, go ahead. Oh, I just think that yeah, yeah I agree. I mean, this is something that I have no proof of, but I just I it's something that I contemplate and try to think about because there's certainly, uh, you know, the 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 MK Ultra documentation that came out uh, right. in the mid 70s yes. there's sort of a, the, the paper trail sort of ends at a certain point and i don't know quite yes. when that is 
Um, and the, the assumption is that, uh, you know, they were busy uh, shredding stuff before they could get it uh, called to uh, the attention of the, um, I think it was the church committee that happened post, yeah, happened post Watergate. Um, and they promised Senator Church that they would never do it again. Which is kind of laughable knowing, you know, I mean, whatever, if there was some, if there was some need to, uh, I mean, just if they sensed a military need or a military, you know, option or benefit to this, that was going to be pursued. I mean, uh, come hell or high water is my sense. Um, and, but the, well, if you put yourself, yeah. Oh no, I'm just thinking that the, the, our knowledge, or let's say like looking at the big grand timeline of the, uh, uh, UFO contact events, which certainly stretch back well before Betty and Barney Hill. Um, though I don't know quite know. So you use the date 1953. Now that certainly seems to jive with the line that we get from the government that uh, it was during, uh, or was when the soldiers were coming back from uh, Korea, the prisoners of war, and they had been brainwashed. I think that was the term they were using then. Uh, yeah. And then, so that, I'm not sure that puts it right around 1953 when the, the prisoners would have been coming back. And um, so the advent of the uh, you know mind control documentation that we have available, you know, says that, you know, oh, we were confronted with this Russian menace and we had to, you know, be, we had to stoop down to the, uh, to the low levels of our enemy because if they were doing it, we needed to do it to have a better understanding yeah. of it. And that was the, that was the justification of it. But, but the, right. and that, so that was the cover story. It could have been a cover story or it could have been a both and uh, kind of thing. So it's hard to know, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, if the Russians were doing the exact same thing, that they had their own abduction experiences there and the, they were furiously reach, researching it at their end also. Well, if you compare the technology that the Russians or the, or the Chinese might have used with walking through walls, um, I, I think the second one is the one you want to, you know, you'd be more impressed by it and it would really animate your, your research effort. And if you if you look at it from the point of view of, Look at it from the point of view of the government, that what the ETs are capable of doing is reaching into any environment and seizing individuals and implanting those individuals and, and just take just the surveillance value of that, that you could, you've probably run into the phrase, we see through your eyes, we're here through your ears. Abductees have been told that. Yep. And so what it means is that is that um, that the government and the military no longer had any perimeter that they that they, that was defensible because the ETs could come in anywhere and take their people and the people wouldn't even know they'd been taken they wouldn't know that they'd been implanted and that they had microphones in their ears and cameras in their eyes and you know, I mean, that's enough to give any military person a real nice airs. Uh, yep. you know, I'm just not here defending it or, or not defending it. I'm just talking about it. Okay? So oh, I, I agree. Nothing and, and that I, they could ignore. Nothing they could ignore. And I just feel that they would want to back engineer the mind control 
all of the, it. The same way that they, the alien mind control, the same way that they would want to back engineer the propulsion system of some exotic crash that they pulled out of the desert near Roswell. Exactly. That's my point. And I keep trying to tell everybody in the UFO community, I don't have too much of a platform, but I sent you that interview that I did where I really dwelt on it and said, look, these TI people, this is an expression of the U.S. government's very advanced, I would say now, uh, state of research, copying the mind control technologies that are used by the ETs on the abductees. You know, just copying every as much of it as they possibly can. And um, specifically, one of the articles I ran in JAR was the man and his wife from Colorado who were picked up by ETs turned over to the Air Force one night. And so, so I, I'll just let me interrupt because I read this article. Yes. I'm very familiar with it. Um, yes. that, that, so what started out like a typical abduction scenario, uh, aliens, gray aliens in coming into a house, taking uh, two individuals. Oh, and then, and then, the, then the actual setting changes dramatically. Right. The scene two is he's still in an alien environment, but not the usual one. And scene three is he's 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 with humans. He's in an, he's in a and he's in an air force base, an underground air force base that he has a feeling has been there for many years. It's not new, and it's big, and that's where he's taken naked. And he's naked throughout this whole experience. His wife is, and he's supposed to be in a somnambulant. Um, uh, you know, uh, unrecognizing state of mind where he, he doesn't know he's naked and he's walking around this place. And the thing, thing is, there's nobody guiding him. He doesn't have an escort. They don't have an escort. And that dawned on him as he reconstructed the experience. He's, at the beginning, he says, you know, there must have been somebody behind us telling us where to go. But then as he, as, as he remembers more and more about it, he realized there never was anybody. And by the end of it, he's, he's telling us, I knew right where to go. After, the, after he was put on a stage and, and, and presented to two or three hundred um, elite military officers, um, then that ended. And the room went dark, the stage, and the military officers filed out. And from there, he had to make his way, he and his wife made his way through these long corridors so they could get back on this uh, vehicle to take them back somewhere, which he presumed, and they would eventually return home. And he tells us, I knew right where to go. I knew right where to go. And he starts talking about the tones that he hears all the time and the variety of them. And as, he, and, and, and as he's walking down this hall with her, he passes by this particular room, 207, and he nearly goes, he has a tremendously awful feeling as he goes by this room. And he remembers that that is the room where he's taken and implants are put in him and whatever else is done. Uh, and it's all a human facility. And for years I wondered, I was trying to figure out, okay, I know that, I know our government knows all about the ETs and knows what they're doing and everything. But do they, or do they work with them? You know, do they sit around the, do they work with them? 
And that case answered that question for me, along with two other cases that I published in Zora. Okay, so before we, let's talk about this case a little more. Now, the memories, were those retrieved through hypnosis that this? Part, part of them was, because the first, it's, I, it's very detailed in the article, exactly how the memories unfolded. First phase, he remembers a whole bunch of stuff all by himself, because actually he trained himself to remember. And then they started punishing him so he would no longer do that. But he trained himself to remember. And he remembers a bunch of stuff, and then he can't remember. He wants to remember more. And then he goes to Deborah Lindemann. And then he remembers a whole bunch more. And Deborah Lindemann is a a, uh, hypnotherapist? Oh, yeah. She's in uh, Colorado. Her husband's in, I don't know. They're they're pretty well known. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. I I remember reading about this in the essay, and I just wanted to, I haven't read it for a while, so. Yeah, Deborah Lindemann. So he goes to her, and um, then he remembers a bunch more stuff. He never remembers everything that's said on the stage. That is blank. He remembers the the first statements. Uh, the, over a loudspeaker, he hears the male subject will now enter from the left. Uh, Sixty three years old. Uh, he is completely unaware of his surroundings and doesn't know what's going on. From the right will enter his wife. She's forty seven. She's completely unaware of her surroundings and will not remember what has taken place tonight when she's, but, you know, by tomorrow, she will not remember, he will not remember any of this. But our, 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 our hero here, which is Bobby Morrison, Bobby Morrison is a very, very uh, notable human being. I have the greatest respect for him. Anyway, Bobby Morrison did foil uh, some of this, and he did remember. Uh, I speculate at the end of the article, though, that E.T.'s kind of orchestrated what he would remember, and that he did, and that he did remember some of it, because it's very incriminating to the U.S. government. Very incriminating. And basically places the U.S. government in a position where they cannot point to the ETs and say, look what they do. Look what those lousy ETs do. You wouldn't want to get in bed with one of them. So you're, you're, you're postulating cannot, that this... that cannot this... say that. Because we do it too. We do the same thing. And the reason would be that, that then they, the, um, they wouldn't... Is this some sort of propaganda on their part? So this information would leak out and then we would have... Uh, sort of dark feelings about our own government. Oh yes. Okay. And and uh, uh, yeah, yes. Okay. So now, just um, wh- what's your level of you know trusting this story? I mean, this is I, I I've heard very similar stories right. before. Have you very similar? Well, not very similar, but similar enough to say that I see a pattern. Yes. Well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doubting that there are very similar. I wish I could get my hands on some more very similar stories. Because I learned so much from that one. Oh boy! I mean, I'd love to get my hands on three more of them. I'm just thinking of the book um, "Alien Jigsaw" by uh, Katerina Wilson. Yes, Katerina has has a lot to say. Um, Everything she says is somehow vague, Um, but she has a great deal to say, and and. 
Okay. Uh, I guess this is the nub of what I'm getting at. Um, we know about MyLabs. And we could say, okay, MyLabs, that's when U.S. government and its frustration, find out what's going on in the abduction, picks up the abductees, roughs them up, and interrogates them. What are those aliens doing to you? What are they telling you? What kind of technology are they using? How, how did, have, you, have you ever flown a ship is one question that I, my understanding gets repeatedly asked of a my really? lab. Have you ever flown the ship? How does the propulsion yeah, system they're, work? They're trying to find out what the abductees are programmed to do in some sort of a crisis. Not, not a crisis. Contingency the word. A contingency. What are the abductees uh, being prepared to do? There was a contingency, but the, the the Bobby Morrison account has the aliens and the government doing this together. Did you read the other story in Jar the, the about the fellow who went to the CIA for a job interview? Yes, please tell that one because that's actually on my list here. Um, that was one that I that fascinated me. Yeah. <laughs> huh. And would you believe I had that I I had that story in my drawer for ten years before I did anything with it. Begin, I don't. You, were you just too baffled by the implications, or what was? Your... I think I think that I was just too bummed out by the implications. I think because how else to explain such a thing? There, you know. So there it was in a drawer for ten years. Oh, anyway, please, oh. finally I woke up and dragged it out and listened to the thing. Oh, please tell the story. This is one that I, yeah. I, I took so great interest have, in this one. This, this, the, the victim of the story is an unaware abductee. All right? Mm-hmm. And, and we, I became aware because I went over his whole life. Like I said, that's what you got to do. You got to go year by year, and then you can get the whole picture. But at the point he went to the CIA, he was an unaware abductee. And he thinks he's going there to apply for a job. And what year would have this been? It was, I think it was 87. Okay, that's my it's memory too. It was my article because I yep. would never leave out something like that, yep. the date. But I believe it's recollection that it's 87. And he goes there for this job interview. And part of the, when you go for a job interview at the CIA, it takes three days. They keep you for three days. And one of the things that happens to you is you get a lie detector test. And, and they're very unpleasant and exhausting. So he got his lie detector test. It was administered by, a, by an alien. So just and, – because and this was interesting in the story. Like actually just to explain if your memory – if just like how he felt when the – you know, what happened, the door opens up. Yes. The, he says the door opens up and he, he says, I thought I would lose my mind or something like that. <laughs> but the door opened up and he saw that, oh, he says that thing walked through the door. The first phase of the, he had, had a lie detector test by a beautiful young woman. I mean, talk about putting you at your ease. Mm-hmm. And she says, okay, so she does that for two hours or so. And then she says, okay, I'll be right back. 
he exits the door, and ten minutes later, uh, in walks this thing. And he was not human. And does he, did you, I mean, could it have been just a, uh, someone in a very, uh, you know, uh, expensive mask that was sort of masquerading as an alien? That's what he told himself. That's a funny question because he told himself, she must have a disguise on. See, when I interviewed him for many hours, it was years after this had taken place. So he he had either died, in other words, it was in perspective in his mind, looked back, and I said to him point blank, you know, I asked him many, many questions, but they, but once, several points I said, was she human? Was she human? He says, no. So here we are in a CIA building, downtown uh, um, Northern Virginia is right next to D.C. It's part of D.C. Tyson's Corner area. In a CIA building in the middle of the day, there's an alien in, 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 a, in a government building. Now, that's what I call working together. Don't you? Oh, I mean, this is this that story fascinated me for a number of reasons. One is that the the assumption is that the and it's my he did not get the job, as I recall, right? Right. Okay. So so <laughs> and I and so I have to assume that they the you know the people at the CIA when he put in his application or he was you know uh, they knew. They somehow knew he was yeah. flagged. This guy's name came up on the big board, or he was somehow um, influenced to say, "Why don't you join the CIA?" You know. So, uh, and he, then he he went and took that that uh, that job interview, or went went through with the job interview. So the thing that's fascinating to me is how did they know? I went over and over and over and over that in the article. So many different directions. How did they know? How did they know? But they knew. In my yeah, he, was he ever in the military? That was what we went over was first his childhood, then his college. All kinds of things happened at this strange college that he went that he was directed to go to by a very wealthy woman in New York. And while he was at this college, he made several attempts to join the military. And I went over that in great detail. What happened when you, you know, tried to join the military? Trying to find out when the government got a line on him. Um, of course, other people would say, well, hey, Elaine, it's not that hard to figure out. ETs tell the government who they have. And that's obviously possible. I just never thought that the ETs would be that obliging as to give all the names you know, like some sort of beautiful, beautiful act. That's the opposite of how they are. But so there's one explanation. The ETs told the government who he was, that they had him. They had had him. Otherwise, they discovered him through screening. Or, 
you know, there were so many strange things that went on at that college that he was at. College that I never heard of. He said, and all the people there were, he said the entire faculty, if you look back on it, had a government connection. And the students were typically the wealthy, wealthy children of foreign dignitaries. And he was a ghetto kid. It's just beyond belief. Yeah, the, this so, is... so he was sent to the school by this wealthy woman who got a line on him. New York City. But but he was abducted at that school. And things happened there that made me wonder if the school was not winning and cooperating in these abductions of these students. It's, it's unanswerable, but that's that certainly entered my mind. You're making me want to reread this article. I remember I read it at the time. This is going back a few years ago, and I remember I was absolutely fascinated. I remember I read it once and then read it again. Um, and uh... Yeah, a, a very interesting. And what's your level? And was this, did he go through any hypnotic regression? This no, part? none whatsoever. And and what he recalled, this lie detector test by a person who wasn't human, he was in a normal consciousness when that occurred. He, he was, I, I, I saw no evidence that he was in an impaired state when that occurred. What happened that night when he went back to the hotel where he was clearly taken out of his hotel room. He was, he was abducted out of that hotel room that night. Whether by government or by ETs or by both, I, we can't tell. And there was no hypnosis for that. It was just a bunch of memories. When you put it together, you can see what happened. And that, by the way, that article is in two parts. So it's in two different issues of JAR. So you might have read the second part and not the first part. You know, I can't remember now exactly. And I'm, I'm, I, I, what, what I don't want to do, because I'm terrible at multitasking, I don't want to get on my computer and search for it while we're talking. I will do that after we're done here. Um, now, what I have found, this is very consistent. If you are in the presence of some, certain types of aliens, I'm, I'm just thinking mostly of these gray aliens, the... Um, you automatically impaired. You you are either automatically impaired, like you are like in the term impaired, like there is a distorted sense of reality that yes. that is created just by the proximity of these yes. of these aliens. Whether that's done with a little machine that's you know in the flying saucer that's outside the house, I don't know. Uh, yes. But uh, people will describe um, things being intensely vivid, very quiet. Uh, having a sense of being more real than real, yes. time feels distorted. Uh, um, a a uh, sense of a an irrational sense of calm is part of this also. Yes, and yes. this is this is also you know I've talked to folks who have gone through hypnotic regression, and they this is part of the reason it's very easy for people to dismiss their memories as being dreams because this 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 mindset this distorted mindset is very dreamlike but yeah. i don't think that that is that but it uh well, ann streber who looked at all the letters that were received after the publication of her husband whitley's book communion um somewhere near a quarter of a million of them said that 
almost not like a high number of them began with the line i had a dream that wasn't a dream and uh so th that that sense now so what you're saying is he didn't have that altered sense of reality when he was getting the lie detector test yeah he doesn't speak of any altered sense of reality he was exercising tremendous restraint on himself um, but he was very intimidated by the whole CIA environment. Okay, he was extremely intimidated by the by everything these three days that happened in these three days. So he certainly wasn't acting out, and he rationalized it monumentally. She must be in a disguise. This must be. Oh, she's an agent, and they're training her to operate in a disguise. Now, the few people that I have talked to that have been okay. in the presence of a gray alien without that mind control, without that sense of uh, altered reality or altered consciousness, they will describe uh, as if the fabric of their own sanity is becoming unhinged. It is terrifying in a way that, that defies any simple explanation. Uh, okay. It is almost the way I've described it is synthetic fear uh, will, will overcome them. Um, to be in the presence of an alien. To be in the presence of an alien without that mind control. That mind control yeah. almost seems to be like uh, essential to being in their presence because without it, you know, the, the, their, their, their sanity crumbles. Jeopardy, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because it's, it's the nth degree of radical unfamiliarity. Or there is something uh, physiological going on as if as if they are literally like vibrating from another reality as if they're as if their mere presence is in, incompatible with with our present reality could be could be so there comes you know um my now, obsession, and I, can't, I just can't penetrate it, is what is the nature of the U.S. government's intentions? What is the nature of, you know, what's the plan, guys? I always say, if I had a bunch of these cover-up guys, if I had MJ-12 in my living room, there they all are, there this thing, I would say to them, okay, guys, what's the plan? You know, how are we going to secure the sovereignty of Earth? Or have you given that up? That's what I want to know. And that is, that is the, the, you know, I don't know how to say it. You know, that may be, if I know, so if I was working in the basement of the Pentagon and it was my job to, um, to deflect or to cloud the issue so that question couldn't be answered. Uh, you know, and let's say I had a budget that was unlimited, you know, I would, uh, I would create false stories specifically to, to confuse, to baffle, to, to send people down uh, blind corridors, you know, I would, and, and just seed those into the UFO research community. All right. Could you expand on that a little? I, I, I'm, I'm, Oh, I can imagine seeding stories, but uh, what's the framework of your comment? Where does the, your comment plug into what we were saying? Oh, um, that, you know, by asking that question and by searching for that answer, I am assuming that, you know, along the way, 
you know, you as a researcher or anyone sort of digging into this or looking online, let's say, would find red herrings that led nowhere, that were perfect or that seemed to fit almost, but they, they were somehow implanted by uh, disinformation agents to – and the role of the, that would be to confuse and muddle the, the overall um, – research simply so that question could not be answered the question you just asked you know what's the plan you know the biggest uh, fosterers of propaganda in the ufo community are the ets and the ets have a line they have a they have you know that word line in the political sense um the line is people of earth uh well the the aliens First line, the first line is, we're okay, you're not okay. That is their basic posture. That is, you know, when they address the abductees, they speak from a great height. And everything they do is consistent with that one precept. We're okay, you're not okay. There's something very wrong with you, human beings. And this is, to me, uh, you know, this is a part of their intimidation uh, uh, of us, is, is to tell us that, ceaselessly. And if you're an abductee, you know, you, you believe it. And lots of other people who aren't abductees would believe it, too. And then by us, meaning humanity as a whole, that we would be, you know, the abductee, the one story that shows up over and over again is the abductees forced to watch like a three-dimensional holographic view screen, and they're confronted with uh, scenes of nuclear destruction and uh, biological, uh, you know, turmoil at the hands of of, uh, our own, uh, you know, just the way that we as stewards of the planets are failing, like that type of thing. Whatever works. Um, It the earliest account of this I have is pre-World War II, where the aliens are preaching the evils of fascism. And then, then the next, the next big wave was they're preaching the evils of nuclear war, and then now it's they're preaching the evils of, of, uh, of environmental destruction and financial uh, manipulation uh, by elites on Earth who are, who are so thoroughly corrupt that it's indescribable. And that, that is what they tell us. Okay, I haven't heard any reports of of the uh, the like the pointing the finger at the financial elites. I've certainly heard a lot of the um, biological and uh, the destruction of the natural world at our hands. Okay, so you basically get the the basic thrust yeah. is to tell us is, is it that there's something very wrong with us as humans, and we're in grave danger, and um, we we the aliens we're here to help you, and. Uh, we'd like to help you, and, and you personally, as a human, we might be able to save you if you run through our training program here and and you measure up to what we need you to be. Then maybe you personally are salvageable. Your uh, race, however, is in grave danger, and. The source of the danger is your unutterably corrupt government. And that is the line. That is the political line that they have been preaching to to the abductee community and the UFO research community for 30 years. And um, 
uh, about a year ago, I began to wonder if possibly they weren't going to put it into practice. Because basically the implication is they always kind of stop short of saying, you know, you need to overthrow your government. Because one of the features is, of the alien output is there's never a, an active role for the human being. We're always passive. They never say, you know, do anything because we're never actors. Are you aware? Do you notice that? It's a kind of, not all that subtle, but it's maybe a perspective that you might not have noticed. That the passivity, that the role that you get to play in whatever the pictures are is passive. So they... So I think it's for that reason that they never actually tell you to overthrow your government. Uh, Richard Boylan edged toward it, though. I, I used to read his stuff until he cut me off. Um, he got to the point where he was just about telling people, you know, rise up and overthrow your government. Um, and, and, then, and so the aliens say, you know, we would really like to help you, people of Earth. But we can't. Because your your awful, rotten, lousy governments are preventing it, standing in the way. If 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 you could get rid of them, why we would give you heaven on earth. Now it's interesting because I've read a lot of the literature and been immersed in it, and I've never quite heard it sort of phrased that way. Um, I've certainly heard you haven't. Not no, and I no, I haven't. Read the literature again, Mike. (laughs) It's everywhere. Okay. It's everywhere, honey. But, you know, what did you major in in college? Film history. Okay. So I told you at the beginning of this discussion today about my sensitivity to power. Yeah. And I was a political science major and stuff like that. So I'm I'm really sensitive to the politics of all this. And that's the only real part of it that I'm interested in. I've done some research on the technology. I actually have. But... What I'm interested in is the politics of this mess. And, and so I have, I'm really sensitive to the politics of it. You know, what I do find, which is very interesting, is that almost every abductee you talk to will say something like this. They'll say, um, I have this weird sense of mission. I have this weird sense that I know something yeah. important, but I don't know what it is. And it's yeah. going to be important very soon. And there's this weird sense of urgency, yeah. Yes, one of the things that goes on with the abductees is they are kept in a constant state of agitation. Do you notice that? That that there's always something that is being stimulate them, so they never relax. You know, it to it to be an abductee is to be hyper vigilant, and um. And that's why there's one wave of rumor and promise after another. And we never tire of it. You know, uh, oh, uh, this is going to happen on September 14th. Uh, the big thing is going to happen on this date, that date. And it never happens. Oftentimes, oftentimes they, they are the, 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 the psychic powers of the UFO abductee or the messages that come through. Uh, they're quite good at, at uh, targeting small things or having, and, and um, you know, you Oftentimes know, like within the, within their own little group of abductees and things like that, you know, making, uh, you know, having yeah, premonitions that come through. They all have the same dream uh, every one night. Uh, five people have the same dream, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yes, which is considered extraordinarily significant. 
and and really child's play for the aliens to manipulate uh, people this way and into a state of awe. You know, it's a thraldom. It's a slavery. And the one thing they won't tolerate is for you to forget about them. That is what they fear the most. You know, obliterate indifference. I mean, they obliterate resistance. They obliterate hostility. They will obliterate indifference. And they obliterate loyalty to the human race and even to yourself. That is what they're trying to do. And so this indifference, you know, you, 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 you don't get to have it. Because they're always going to stimulate you into a, a twittering, you know, twitching anxiety and anticipation that never stops. And it's part of, you know, how many people do you think were, have been having a season our world that, you know, have lived through years and years and years of that and finally they died, you know, and, and the, the big day never came. You know, it's, you can just see how it's not pointless from the... It's, what it is is that they're learning, the ETs, how to manage and control us. You see? Oh, or managing control a very small part of our population. As a sample. Yeah. I've, I've been convinced from the beginning that, that, that the amount of work they do studying the psychological dynamics of the abductees and of the UFO community, I believe, um, is as they extrapolate that to the human race. I'm certain of it. I just, I'm just certain of it. So they have a small control it's a group? Test bed. It's a testbed. Yeah. Testbed. And that's why somebody like Bobby Morrison, who, uh, one of the things about Bobby Morrison is that he did everything he could to resist. Everything. And they did everything to defeat his resistance. Well, give me an example. Um, he learned self-hypnosis so that he would remember what had occurred. And they tortured him. I mean, inflicted extreme pain upon his body to stop him from doing the self-hypnosis because he was working on, for just to be specific, working on remembering what had occurred on the stage when he was standing up there naked with his naked wife. Let's assume he was there for a half an hour or 45 minutes while the colonel um, in the article uh, explained to the audience what Bobby Morris and his wife represented. You know, a sterling example of the powers of my control undoubtedly was the thrust of the whole presentation. And what he would have, what the colonel would have explained to the audience is the kinds of protocols that were used on Bobby Morris to achieve the result you see before you, gentlemen. Uh, and Bobby's never been allowed to remember that. Uh, so, so there you are. But anyway, this the politics of this is. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say. That about a year ago, do you did you. Did I scream at you about somebody named Drake? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I spent a long time listening to hours and hours and hours of his audio uh, interviews, and um, and I was baffled. Were you? 
Well, I mean, baffled in the sense that like I couldn't figure out where he was coming from or what his agenda was or why he was allowed to do that. Now, now, uh, Drake was, uh, I'm not sure if he's, is he still on? Is he still posting his audio? I don't know. I don't know. I know. I haven't, I, I got, I got kind of just, it was, um, well, let's build him up from the ground up. First of all, he's an empathy. You, 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 you get, you gathered that, right? It, it was very weird because he kind of would seed that in there. He would get, he would go on these kind of, you know, crazy militant right-wing rants about you know how uh we're just on the verge of overthrowing the government and and how all these generals within the government are breaking ranks and obama is you know uh, going to be at the hands of a coup you know any day now and then yeah. he would kind of slide in like oh the you know the relationship i have with the aliens is the most wonderful uh relationship imaginable you know these are the yeah. people these are my real teachers yeah and uh and that would come out of left field. I mean, it, it sounded just like, you know, hysterical, uh, you know, uh, extremist rhetoric. And then he would just drop these little bombs where he would say, oh, I'm a UFO abductee. And just kind of, you know, these, it's just as plain as day. And, uh, and this is just normal life for me. And, and, uh, and then he would go back into his, his, uh, his rant. It was very well, strange. I, tell you, I, I didn't find him to be um, ira- not irrational and not, uh, I, I felt I understood him completely. Yes, but uh, I don't think that there's. I, I mean, I, this is the the the. I don't think there were uh, generals. Uh, like he basically hinted that he had a line in, like a special set of knowledge to the, what was going on in the planning stages of some sort of coup to overthrow the government. It's it just that's my memory. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. And ET instigated coup. And did he ever come right out and say that it was an ET instigated coup? The, the words of his, I've got a lot of notes and a lot of stuff on him, but the words that leap into my memory was, they want us to do it. Okay. That, I mean, I, I they trust you want that us yeah. to do it. Now, now here... you, from politically, do you understand what that means? Sure. Okay. It means that they're not going to um, be the agency that obviously... Um, overthrows the U.S. government, not the ETs. They don't want to be seen in that role. Now, what struck me is, I mean, there's, you know, whatever we have, you know, it seems to be eroding, you know, minute by minute, but we do have freedom of speech and we're allowed to, you know, rant and rave and, and say whatever we want. The one thing that we are actually kind of, the, the one thing that they do toe the line on, you know, the the federal government, one thing they are, they don't, is overthrow of the government. A violent overthrow of the government. They don't Correct. let you shout that from the street corners. Correct. Correct. And so we have to um we have to uh uh um uh, observe that he was doing that for a couple of years and may still be doing it. And and the question is why didn't they why didn't I mean, that was if they would take one phone call from one the person listening. The only thing I can think of, Mike, is that they wanted to hear what he what he was saying. That that our government, who would not be part of this coup faction, was trying to neutralize the coup faction, and uh, so they let him spout off in order to find out what the hell he was going to say. Because he told us point blank that there was going to be a coup that was going to overthrow the U.S. government and that it was well underway and that it was going to be led by the U.S. military. Without, you know, I mean, it was right out there. 
and it obviously, you know, I mean, it's, it, yeah. So that's my sense too, that, that there was some sort of agenda that the, um, that he was allowed to do that or co-opted to do that or mind controlled to do that. I mean, it was very bizarre. I don't, I don't have an answer, um, you know, why he was allowed to say that. Uh, well, my, my answer to, you know, my speculation, see, I'm, I'm, a, unfortunately, I'm a rather credulous person. I mean, when, when I hear people tell me things that are consistent and coherent and that they repeat over and over and over again, you know, I pay attention. So I, I, I took him very seriously and I was desperate to find out what the hell this all meant. And, um, You have to know where the hell to go with this discussion. I, I, I have to add in that July of 010, I think. Do you know the name Julia May? No. I call her, the, do you? No, I don't. Okay. I call her the cadaverous woman. Oh, yes, yes. She's the one that uh, is part of Drake's uh, website, you know, and she does periodically will do uh, YouTube videos. She does YouTube videos, and she is not not on Drake's website anymore. And I cannot, I can no longer get this video that she made, in which she said that on and off world forces were demanding the surrender of the cabal, and she was deadly serious about it. And she was filled with threats um, of a of a. The things that were said by her and by Drake, I've never heard anyone say before. Now, 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 to me, I'm going to jump back to if I yes. was the guy in the basement of the Pentagon who had an unlimited budget and I wanted to cloud the issues, I would create some red herrings. And my sense is that, you know, that's what we may be seeing with, with – and I remember watching a few of that woman's uh, videos and, um, you know, it, and it didn't – it seemed like some lady in her living room just kind of uh, – spouting off, you know, and it was... Mike, I can't conceive of a U.S. government agenda that Julia May's video would serve. Can you? Except to uh, confuse the UFO research community. Uh, Confuse us. Well, it would... We're we're not a threat to them. They don't... Why do they have to confuse us? Oh, I mean, I think that we very much could be uh, uh, a threat. I mean, if they are trying to keep the lid on something like disclosure, uh, then what they might want to do is uh, just seed the, the 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 sort of small little swimming pool full of full of uh, UFO researchers and such. They would want to seed it with information that would lead nowhere. And so that it would it would take up our time, it would take up our energy. We would be, you know, um, uh, and the mere fact that she's disappeared is interesting to me, you know. So so that's I, and I don't know whether this is true or not. This is that's the first thought that came to my mind when I watched her was like, you know, why? What is going on? Why is she even saying this? And and then, uh, you know, so she drops these big bombs, you know, saying that, uh, you know, that that. Uh, the overthrow of the government is imminent. It's all being orchestrated by the the aliens. And then... By on and off world forces. That's what she said. Yeah. On and, and off world forces. That that was her uh, 
okay, is this where you're coming from? Is, is this it? Uh, people like Stephen Greer and um, Richard Boylan and numerous others are often thundering in the UFO community that the U.S. government is trying to show the aliens in a negative and frightening manner to the public and trying to make us afraid that they are a threat and that they are going to invade Earth and that and that the human forces will stage a mock false invasion of, a, of aliens um, to frighten the human race. I've, yep, is I that sure, where you're coming from? That, that is one thing that I hear over and over again. I don't, I don't know how much credence to give it. I give it very little credence, actually. But um, uh, yes, yeah, so that, that would be there's an example no, of something that could have been generated by, uh, you know, by propagandists. There's no uh, um, purpose that that would serve for the U.S. government. And I, I know, I feel I know where that, that is coming from. But let me give you an example. Down in South America, I don't know what country, Ecuador, Peru, one of those countries, um, you heard a lot about how they declassified their UFO files and to some extent admitted that ETs are operating um, here. You've heard that, right? That they're, that they're operating within our, 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 you know, our skies. and Yes. Yeah. Not they, that they're they operating within the, within the Bolivian government. No, no, but that on Earth. Okay, yes. Oh, yeah, very much so. Sure, yeah. Some of these South American, one or two of them, uh, you know, got their files out, and then they made some statements to government leaders that suggesting that, yes, ETs are operating on Earth. They're flying around the skies anyway. And what I noticed in particular about these announcements or statements was that in no way, shape, or form did any of these governments suggest that ETs were a threat. They were very um, nonchalant, very noncommittal, very relaxed, very calm about it. There wasn't a hint in anything that the South American government said that fits this pattern that they're going to tell the public that ETs are a threat. And I thought, of course, of course, because the one of the fears of admitting uh, even such a little thing as that there's life on Mars, let alone ET life on Earth, is uh, the uh, lost control of the population and, and panic and widespread fear. So n- none, the governments are not going to characterize the, whatever they really think they are. They may be locked in mortal combat with ETs, uh, but they're not going to tell that to the public. That doesn't fit where that comes from. I'll tell you where that comes from, Mike. That comes from the ETs. The ETs are the ones that are saying, your government, it's just more of the same. Your bad government is saying that we are awful people, we ETs, and you need to fear us. And they're going to say, your bad governments are going to stage fake ET invasion, and they're going to try to turn you against us because they're so unutterably corrupt, and they know that if we came... Uh, uh, that you would have a wonderful life, a great life, and their power and control would be ended, and that's why they don't want us. But uh, you see, that's that's the develop the development of that. 
that propaganda line. Yeah. Did you ever read um, Arthur C. Clarke's Childhood's End? No. Okay. It's interesting. It was written, I think, in 19 might have been 1953. I'm not sure. Uh, and it, I mean, that's basically the the plot of it. You know, here's something that's getting close to 60 years old. Um, and that's, that's the plot of the, uh, uh, of this very well-written, very interesting work of science fiction. I see. I see. Well, Julia May, um, who I call the cadaverous woman, made the most astonishing statements that that I have ever heard. I mean, she basically said that, um, well, she specifically said on and off world forces demanded the surrender of the cabal, by which I translate that into the UFO cover-up. You know, the people in the U.S. government who are, who are, um, the creators and executors of our ET policy, whatever that is, um, that their surrender was being demanded and that it was a foregone conclusion that their surrender would be achieved. And uh, if they failed to surrender, they would be thrown into the center of the sun and it would be as though they never existed. Now this, this harkens back to something you <laughs> said earlier. Oh yeah! Oh, I remember seeing it. I that was very. She wasn't um, smiling when she said it. No, she didn't, she didn't smile. She wasn't, didn't seem like a very smiley person. <laughs> no. The uh, now this harkens back into something you said earlier about how these you know UFO groups will make these profound you know statements. You know the the, the UFOs are going to land on a certain date and nothing happens, and um, so to, that's how that was the sense I got from it that she was part of some you know insulated UFO cult and that they had received this message. Uh-huh. I don't know how she received it through channeled means or yeah. through, you know, uh, premonitions or did a little gray alien, like walk out of its flying saucer, walk right up to her and, you know, hand her the press release. Um, so that was unclear of how she got the message, but my sense was that it was just one more of those outlandish claims that, that get made by folks yeah. within UFO cults or, or UFO groups or, individuals that that sort of gain a certain notoriety and then will say you know oh the you know the the ufos are going to land on this certain day it's just it's been a repeating pattern that uh, jacques valet wrote about in his book um messengers of deception well you know i probably have a too rich of an imagination and i'm too credulous uh to me it, it i took it more seriously and it fit of course everything it fit the whole propaganda analysis that that i've done and it said, you know, um, basically how I appraise the ETs is that their objective here is to get control of this planet without firing a shot. Uh, I'm, you know, they have no intention of firing, you know, causing damage to this physical damage. They, they, I mean, what, why else would they be here? Uh, it's to me, uh, I regard them as foreign nations. With interest, not evil, not good, not evil, just people with interest. What does the United States do? We go all around the world to get trying to get control of nations. We've got our tentacles in nations all all over the place to get control of those nations without even appearing to be doing that. It's a it's a basic pattern, it's a basic political pattern, and um. Uh, 
the hybrids, you know, we, we haven't even talked about them. What could they be possibly be for? Uh, seems to me they're there to create a cadre of they, who, people who really are ETs, but they're physically adapted to this planet and who can be in positions of great power, maybe in some future paradigm where ET has gotten control of this planet. Uh, they have to look just like us or we couldn't stand them. We would go insane. Exactly, we would we would we lose our minds in, the, in their in their presence. Now, the, as far as that, now the hybrid thing is its own tricky. I mean, it's it's now this is one that it's it's hard for me to wrap my mind around it. And I I um I spoke to a few researchers, and I kind of was being purposely oh I, I was making a purposely outrageous statement just to get their just to get their their reaction, and um. You know, I said, you know, pretty much 100, which this is true. This is pretty much what I don't I haven't I don't have like a database where I can actually point to it and say it is 100 percent. But it seems very close to 100 percent of the women that I have talked to that have had abduction experiences will tell of. You know, either most some or a couple fleeting points, they will talk about weird pregnancy issues. They will talk about meeting children. They will talk about, uh, you know, missing pregnancies. They will talk about um, feeling pregnant one day and then not feeling pregnant the next day, oftentimes yeah. while they're not sexually active. Uh, yeah. I've talked to more than one woman who has gone to a doctor, been told she was pregnant, gone back to the doctor. They were no longer pregnant, and I've actually had a few of them tell me and tear up in the conversation that that, that they felt that the doctor – was angry and and accusing them of getting an abortion, and they were shocked. They didn't understand it, and they were they left absolutely perplexed. Um, so the you know, and I was saying that the number is a hundred percent, and I really haven't had any researchers say, "Oh no, that's that's outrageous." Except for one, where Barbara Lamb said, "Well, oh no, I wouldn't say it was a hundred percent." And then I was like, "You know, well, what would you say?" And she said, "Hmm, I would say it's a lot." So. <laughs> so in a essence, lot is good enough. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, it's, but, but it's a, that that syndrome there is, is something Bud Hopkins informed us of. Yes. Yeah. So there's no dispute on that syndrome. There is, in my opinion, there is no dispute on that syndrome. There are. I have now. Now I have never actually. Now um, Peter Robbins, who I've spoke with directly, says he's actually looked at the medical files. You know that he'd gotten permission from gynecologists and from doctors to look at the files and to see, you know, the lady came in on one day and here was the diagnosis and here was the doctor's report. And then she came back another day and this is his follow-up report. Um, so I have never actually seen the documentation, but he says he has, this is something that gets, uh, thrown around in the, uh, Oh, the, 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 the folks of high skepticism, they will say like, Oh, well there's, I've, there's no medical reports that prove this. So, um, but what I can say with great certainty is that near 100% of the women I've talked to will tell a story uh, of of uh, that implies some 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 sort of hybridization program is in play, and they are uh, actors in that drama. Yeah, yeah. So the the question then is what? Why? You know why? <laughs> that is what, what exactly. Is the use, what is the planned use of these hybrids? And I. It seems to me that the use of them is is to be in, put in positions of leadership on the ground. 
in some future day, in some future scenario. Yeah. So, you know, that scenario, how does that scenario, how do we get to that scenario? Because um, one of the things about the ET presence that people should pay a lot more attention to is the caution that is being manifested by the ETs. We see our government being absolutely, totally unwilling to disclose. Agreed. A million percent unwilling. It's never going to happen. In the, in the, no one's ever going to walk to a, 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 in a press conference and sort of say, you know, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the world has yes, been invaded why? by UFOs and we've known about it for, you know, 70 years. That, that is yeah. not going to happen. Yeah, well, we don't see any sign of it now. And, and, but guess who else is totally unwilling to disclose? The aliens the themselves are, themselves. are, perf- are but they are, they are, they are, I mean, you actually told me yourself this one time. And you said, that, you know, one of the things that the ETs do is they will tell the abductee to write a book. And then the abductee will dutifully write a book. Now, this is something that I remember in our conversation feeling like mm, my heart drop a little bit because I uh, am doing – I have an online uh, presence where yeah, I'm talking about my own a book. You're writing a book online. Yeah. And, and, yeah. Uh, and I have said more than once that that felt like it did not come from me. It felt like I was reacting in a way that is very much unlike myself. You know, who knows? I mean, that's, it's hard for me to actually, but that is my sense. Yeah, you think you were subliminally directed and persuaded to do this, which that, may well be the case. That, that, is, that seems a fair statement. Um, I have so, no proof of it, but that is just a feeling, yeah. And you're mentioning that because I'm saying the ETs don't disclose either. Well, they are disclosing slowly in the sense that you right. can go to Barnes & Noble, you can walk to the occult book section, you can, you know, grab a couple books, you know, about people's firsthand abduction experiences, and you can buy them and read them. They're out there. There are hundreds of them. Yes. So, so right. and if they, if the ATs are asking these people to, uh, to write their books, uh, which I don't doubt, um, you know, then they are they are somehow seeding the populace with some sort of uh, information. Now, another thing. Yes. Oh, oh I was just yes. I just lost my train of thought here. Um, oh, keep yes. going. I'll let you go. It'll come back to me. Yes. Well, um, what what I think the reason the ETs don't disclose is because they're not yet confident that they could control the outcome. That's why I think they don't disclose. Okay. Now, I just remembered my quote. This is what I was going to say. There's a fellow, Herbert Shermer, I think it was his name. It was a case, uh-huh. I think, from the late 60s. He was a cop. He was abducted. Had this really, yeah. you know, uh, it, was, it was more of a uh, – it was, there, was, there was sort of these uh, abduction events that used to take place in the 60s, which don't really seem to play out anymore, where it almost seemed to be like, hey, come on board the ship. We'll give you a little tour. It had this kind of – Yeah, the style changes. Yeah. The style changes. It does. Yeah, so he it had does. yeah, he had one of those where he was kind of like, "Hey, come on board," you know, and and uh, right. you know, it felt like uh, you know, it felt like somebody pulling up to your house in a in a fancy RV and they kind of open the door and say like, "Hey, you should see. You want to see the inside of this thing? It's pretty cool." So the, that his his account had that kind of vibe to it, but one of the things they said, the actual ETs said to him, and I don't think this came through. He didn't have to retrieve this through through hypnosis. They said, 
you know, he said, asked some question, like, why are you doing this? Why do you, you know, why are you here? What did, why did you take me? And they said something like, you know, and it sounded like they were implying not only to him, but they were, this was the implication. It was to humanity itself. And they said, we want you to believe in us, but not too much. And never get in, and they'll never, so far, I've not been willing to give you any physical proof. And there is some fleeting little physical proof that, but everyone ignores it. So um, now, oh, here's one. So now if these hybrids, you know, I mean, I'm I'm baffled if they actually exist in a physical way or is this some sort of, do they exist in some ethereal realm or are they, are they all waiting, you know, patiently on some mothership on the dark side of the moon, you know, for the appointed day when they just, when they, you know, they all land at once. Um, you know, I don't have the answer to that. And I mean, and I, I wouldn't. Most of them are dead, aren't they? The hybrids? I would think so. Well, I mean, whew, I no, I don't think so. No, I've had some very interesting accounts told told to me by people. Think I think so. Do think so. That the hybrids because themselves are dead. Most of them are dead. Oh, that the, you're saying that they're like it's a it's a it's a, like a scientific experiment with a survival rate that's surprisingly low. That the iterations, you know, that they that that there have been, I don't know, hundreds or thousands of iterations of the hybrids. As, as the aliens worked and worked and worked to perfect them. And but they don't need all those hybrids that didn't work out, so they terminated them. I'm, you know, I have no doubt of it. The same way we would terminate, like, the, the fruit flies in some experiment that didn't meet our, yeah. our, 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 our standards. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. You know, so that's an assumption. I, and, and what I do know is that, that I have heard people say that, you know, like, they will ask the aliens, what happened to the little baby? And then the aliens will reply... You know that the experiment didn't work out, and your baby didn't survive. Um, and I've also heard just the opposite too. That that you're, you know, that uh, I, I talked to one woman who tells a remarkable story. I was in her house when she told it, and let me tell you, she was amped up when she told the story. Where yeah. um, she went to her backyard, she looked up in the sky. There was a great big giant UFO. She came back in the house to get a camera, and as she was moving back through the living room, she looked over at the couch, and there was this beautiful blonde young man who would have been about 30. Now she was about the age where that young man um, would have matched the time of her uh, abduction experiences in the eighties. So she sat down on the couch, telepathic communication ensued. She was reassured. He called her mom. And then the next thing she knows, poof, she's sitting on the couch alone. Um, so. Yep. Bonding. Uh, Bonding. Some sort of bonding. Now, one thing. Now, if these hybrids. Now, this is where this is this is what where it gets challenging to me is like if these hybrids exist. One of the things that I feel strongly that they will have, or might have, or let's say, is what every ET, what every you know alien on board a craft seems to have, and that is direct mind to mind telepathic communication. And that means the ability not only to, you know, to say, you know, good morning, how are you today, you know, without moving their lips. That also implies that they can suck the data out of our hard drive. So basically yeah. download whatever they want out of our brains. Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, it's interesting to me how different researchers um, extract different uh, – Dave Jacobs has given us – some of the most vivid portraits of the of the hybrids of any researcher. 
Um, and in his book, The Threat, one of the things that I found quite remarkable was these female abductees who were having sex with male hybrids and how um, extravagant their sexual pleasure was um, beyond anything they'd ever experienced with a human being. And that made me very, very frightened because it, it was an example of one of the almost innumerable seductive tactics that the ETs use. In other words, things that they dangle in front of you that are irresistible. Uh, that this is, was specifically sexual, and I'm using the word seductive, is only a coincidence because they could dangle technology in front of you and you're equally seduced. Or, you know, the idea that you could feed everybody on Earth is very seductive. But they dangle things in front of you that make you think that, that you just can't put up with human life anymore. It's just too impoverished. Look what the aliens could give us. You know, the only problem is that we'll lose our freedom. Other than that, if that doesn't bother you, you know, go for it. And that we would have a population, if it plays out, you know, in the one scenario, that these uh, that these hybrids then play some role in human existence, that these people who assume to they look on many levels to be human, but they would have that ability to to suck the thoughts right out of our mind as easy yes, as we... Well, apparently they are able to command humans. Uh, you know, you, you, you can't do what you want when you're with them. They make you do what they want. Oh, yes. The mind, con- the, very, yeah, very, the mind control is absolutely complete. Yeah. powers that come out of their, their brains. It, it's absolutely terrifying to me. Absolutely. Uh, I just... You know, I don't, I don't, I don't know how we live with the knowledge that we have. That, you know, we're all Cassandras, and nobody will believe what we, what we know. Things that we know are going on. They're so fantastic that nobody believes this, but they're true, and we have to live with it. Now, this is where this is where I this is I think it may, this might be my own defense mechanism, sort of chiming in here. Like, if they're uh, mind control is so complete and so thorough. Why are they allowing us to, to to put these puzzle pieces together with just exactly what you're sharing here? You know, could it be that this is some sort of theatrical, uh, you know, that's that 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 what you that that's many puzzle pieces within the the overall abduction mystery have been implanted to, in a way that, that, makes, uh, that makes the conclusions that, that you've just come to, you know, difficult, you know, like it may not play out exactly like that. Does that make sense what I'm trying to get across? Um, try it again. That uh, somehow there's, uh, there's, obviously there's very thorough and complete mind control. You know, people can see Jesus on board the UFOs, right? Yeah. Um, and, and believe it. And then, yeah. Um, yeah. but but could some of these very shocking elements 
the same way if we had a dog and we wanted to you know punish it we would say bad dog and that's all it takes you know uh to make the dog feel incredibly submissive in a way could certain parts of this whole narrative stuff that we've talked about over the last hour and a half here could those elements have been projected into the to the minds of the abductees for some agenda that I, I can't even begin to guess what that might be. So, so I'm, my sense is that some of these puzzle pieces that you say that we know, and, and I have a hard time saying that, you know, like I would say that we have uh, evidence that might indicate that's the way I would say, you know, we know, I just can't, I just haven't done the same, the research that you've done. So I, I'm just having trouble saying that we know. A lot of people get upset with me because um, when I I've been on radio programs where I was asked the question, you know, what is it? And, and I was told, I, I, and I answered, there are extraterrestrials operating on Earth. And the people all piled on me like I'd said something horrible. And I knew what I said wrong was I said with certainty, that you know, at least in my mind, I'm certain of it. And there's people... Lots of people in the UFO community who don't want to be certain of too much at all about this stuff. And that's why the hypothesis of extra dimensionality is gaining ground over the extraterrestrial hypothesis because nobody knows what it means. You know, the <laughs> idea that, yeah, and people love that. The idea that, that, oh, they're not extraterrestrial, they're interdimensional. And no one knows what that means, and that's just great. Uh, and I would probably be one of those. Of I'm people. one of those people. So, but and and I and I, you know, I. But keep going. And I, I don't. Well, know. you know what? What about Drake? What bothered me a lot about him was that you see, it wasn't only Drake. There's um, another person by the name of Gordon Duff on Veterans Today. And Gordon Duff is somebody who likes to present himself as ex-intelligence with enormous amounts of connections. And, you know, it tries to gain prestige from that. And have you ever looked at Veterans Today? It's a radical, um, part of it's oriented toward veterans, in fact. And and I have looked at it, and I and some of the stuff that they say is absolutely, you know, uh, I mean, the, you know, the, there was a big long thing about the U.S. Navy and the Chinese Navy were doing battle together out in the Pacific against some sort of underground or underwater UFO base. I thought that was that struck me as I didn't buy it. That was very interesting. Yeah, that story that was about a year ago, wasn't it? Of the reports of uh, military activity, anti ET military activity in the Pacific. I remember that. I didn't, I did not buy it. I thought it sounded a little bit ridiculous. And he's another one of those that says, you know, that these generals are all conspiring to take over, you know, very much a Drake line that he says, you know, these, these, if you know, that he has personal knowledge from directly from these generals that, you know, there's a, a coup underway. And um, three people got that story. One was Carrie. Another one was Carrie Cassidy. And that's, she's another one that I just feel like is like I don't buy it. You know, like she'll she'll repeat anything. You know, I mean, I can say that. Yes, you will. I know. Yeah. I know. And then there was a third a third guy that 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 got that story too. But um, oh, I lost my thought now. 
Uh, oh, I was going to say about Gordon Duff. Gordon Duff has said point blank uh, more on the radio than on print to talk about a coup. Um, a real, a real coup. And then there's the um, information that's come out through the, let's see, it's called the Military Freedom Religion Foundation or something. It's a, it's a, it's an organization that is fighting the religious fanatics in the officer rank of the United States military, where they are very prominent in military schools like West Point. You know, they're called Dominionists. They are religious fundamentalist Christians, and they're extremely fanatical. And there's a great deal of coercion in the officer's corps to conform to right-wing Christianity. And um, actually, recently, just recently, one of these right-wing ministers, not in the military, uh, made a public statement to the effect that wouldn't it be good if um, there was a military coup and only, you know, some person of real stature in the military could lead this country out of its terrible condition and so on. Um, and the on his board is a man named Boykin, I believe it is, who helped build up the special forces under the Bush administration. Now he's retired. He's on this minister's board. So the Military Religious Freedom Foundation, if that's what it's called, is screaming to high heaven about the religious fanatics that are so prevalent in the, in the officer corps. So that's another data point. Then there's another data point called uh, 2005, five or six nuclear weapons are gotten out of, um, I don't know, one of the, one of our military bases loaded on a B-52. Oh, I remember this. I remember that, when that showed up in the news. Yeah, that was very mysterious to me. Yeah. Yes, that's impossible. Okay. It, it, it's impossible. And if it happened... It's conspiracy. It's a it's a traitorous conspiracy if it if it happens. Um, now, the Washington Post just yesterday reported yet two more hot brass that have been eliminated. You know, retired. I don't know how many have been eliminated. Yeah, and I I remember I read I did some follow up reading on that one was. They they use that they use alcoholism, or you know overuse of alcohol or alcohol problems was one of the reasons for one of them, and the other one was that they this guy had gone I don't know it might not be Las Vegas but he had gone gambling with counterfeit poker chips or, or whatever right. whatever the chips they use at the uh, at the um, you know the chips right issue so at, twenty at of casino. these people twenty of these people have been eliminated, including Petraeus. Yes, and he's and very so, publicly you know, eliminated. Yeah. Okay, so we put all these data points together, and we say, uh-oh, what the hell's going on? Uh, is there really a, uh, a traitorous faction in the military? Was Drake, I mean, how could Drake get on the air for a 
two solid years, twice a week, telling us that a military coup was imminent and it not be true. Or, I don't know how imminent it was, but but that somebody was trying to make it happen. Well, the thing you that's know, more, you know, I mean, the thing that's more uh, challenging to me is that Drake was allowed to say that for two years because you, well, okay. you just have to that, be a that's junior real FBI. Good. Yeah, you just have to be a junior FBI agent. All you got to do is go in there and tell him to stop, and the you know, and if he doesn't stop, you you have every right under all kinds of jurisdictions to drag him away and arrest him. Yeah, well, that's a really good question, and it's and it's a separate question from um, what he had to say. So if you put all these things together, to me, you know, with Gordon Duff and his outright allegations of a of a coup, the last time I heard him make outright allegations was. Uh, he claimed that the coup was quashed. And who knows? I mean, if I was Obama, I'd be trying to quash it. I sh- yeah, yeah, well, exactly. If it's making it to Gordon Duff, it's probably making it to the, you know, to the, to the ears of the inner circle of the White House. Yeah. Yeah. So the, is this a purge that they're, they're carrying out? Uh, see, if, if there was a potent disloyal faction in the United States military and intelligence community. I assure you that Obama would not tell us about it. Exactly. Okay, oh, I agree not, completely. Yeah. I mean, just you, the, you agree, the, you agree the, completely. The, 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 my sense is that they lie about everything. And if, you know, if there, I, I feel like there's almost zero truth. Come I'm, I'm also whatever, I'm cynical to the point of, I just can't, I'm surprised I can walk upright sometimes, but uh, you know, that, that uh, almost nothing of, that would could be called truthful is being you know projected from the from the White House. It's all got some well, sort of spin have, you, or lie or deception. You have to look at, at at motives. I mean, during the during FDR, the administration of Franklin Roosevelt, there was a, a attempted coup. That is one now, thing I would that as surprises me that is not taught in junior high. Uh, right. That that is so fleeting, and I would love to see a major motion picture about it. I know it's never going to happen. Well, I, I, I got curious about it and read two or three books about it recently. And and there's a lot that's not known about it. But apparently it really happened, it, or tried to happen. And, and FDR didn't get up. He never said a word about it. Uh, and, and why would that be? See, because that's a tremendous loss of faith for any administration to, to have to admit that there's a potent disloyal faction Operating in, in in their rank in the ranks of the government, See, it's 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 critically weakening to the party and group in power. Oh, absolutely, it's, sure, yeah, right. Okay, so you see that right away. Okay, I don't have to persuade you. So there could be, if there was this potent disloyal faction, um, according to Drake's version of it. It was ET related, and to me, that fit the paradigm of what ET's been saying for thirty years. You know, you've got a really bad government; you better get rid of it. Drake says they want us to do it. Um, if you read the politics of, we mentioned Jim Sparks earlier. You remember at the end of his book where. He flies through the air and he lands in a deserted carnival park. Yep, and he's surrounded in an odd circle of 
of uh, ETs that don't look exactly like the classic greys. They're slightly different. He calls them reptilians. Yeah. And they give him a big political message, which is just about is worth about two cents. Oh, they 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 tell him that uh, they have to have like similar to the South African sort of truth commission, where there's going to have to be a universal uh, a pardon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they 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 start out where they always are. They tell you know they tell him that he's got the worst government that the universe has ever seen. That they're thoroughly corrupt, and that they are interfering with ET's ability to deliver the goods to the human race. And they say things like, um, "Our hands are not dirty." With they, they imply strongly, very, 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 very strongly imply uh, that this government is guilty of atrocities. I don't necessarily mean physical, but they're unspecified, just unspeakably evil acts in the as part of the process of ensuring the secrecy all these years. Um, and I, you know, I just fell over dead when I read that, you know, because everything they accuse this government of, you know, have you read Polites, uh, David Polites' books, four one one. Oh, have no, I have book? not read them. I've heard a great amount of this. I think there's two that are published now, and there's a third one in the works. Yeah, I've been told yeah. by any number of people that those are must-reads, and I have not read them. Absolutely, absolutely. And now, he, he makes no claim. He doesn't talk about UFOs being related to these events at all. He just treats it as a, as a mystery that these people are, are disappearing. He does, and he's got his public um, posture and his private posture. Um, but it's clear when you read those books that ETs are taking people and not returning them. And there's also a, um, I mean, oh, I, I just, I just had a private conversation people. with someone who said that he had a, uh, a discussion with David Polides or Polides. I'm not sure it's how it's pronounced. And, uh, um, that, uh, there was a, he had created a map of like, there was a cluster of people missing and it happened in this spot. And, and then he saw another map that someone had produced that from within the UFO research community where they had put basically little push pins on the map and that map, you know, the cluster of UFO sightings matched the cluster of missing persons. Uh, I, I don't, I, this is just something that was retold to me. So this is all secondhand. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And that was very, and it was very upsetting and distressing for, you know, David, the author. Well, um, the, uh, the, um, it's the contours, it's the features of many of the cases that David presents that an abduction researcher can spot immediately that, that the, these are ET cases. Okay, good. So now what I would refer to that sometimes, what I sense those, I haven't read the book, so I'm trusting you on this, but my sense is oftentimes there's something that just feels like, I mean, just has, you just feel it like, oh, this is what yeah. it is. And I've met many people. Yeah. And yeah. and they've told me some things in their life, and I have to bite my tongue because I don't like being because people have done it to me, and I didn't like it, and I you know, but I just think to myself like, oh, what they are telling me, I and I I am jumping to the conclusion because I don't have a full, uh, you know, I don't have a full story to go by, but my sense is that oh, this person is a UFO abductee, and I'm right. sensing it because I feel it. Yeah, you 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 can tell, and and you don't want to tell them because it's aggressive. 
it's and, it's and up to them to there. figure it out, not they're, for me to tell. Yeah, them. they're yeah. not there yet. You don't you don't want to force that conclusion on them. I quite agree. It's violent. I quite understand. And Polides has hundreds and hundreds of cases. Some of those cases are are, are crimes, human crime, murders, and so on. Uh, not that he concludes they are. They're all mysteries. But I, I'm willing to warrant that certain percentage of them are crimes. Certain percentage of them are people who just got genuinely lost and their body was never found. So they disappeared. Um, but there's another whole set of them which, <laughs> you know, it's it's obvious to to an abduction researcher that these people are gone because ETs took them. Uh, and and so, getting back to the carnival yard where the ETs are wringing their hands and telling Sparks how Jim Sparks that how bad his government is and how the great crimes they've committed and and, and it, it's and Sparks just because he's capitulated see by this time. He, he, it's all in his book, capitulation, everything. Yeah, I, I read his book, and I, I have I'm, I have strong opinions about his case and his his claims. So he even calls it a surrender. He himself calls it a surrender. Yeah. And what's that surrender? What's that? See, that's the goal of the behavior modification, brainwashing, mind control effort. It's a, and once that happens, the person no longer has the ability. To think logically anymore. They start believing whatever the ETs tell them, and most of most most heartbreaking to see is they they no longer have the ability to protect and defend their own interests. They everything. You want an example? Sure. Okay. Um. Jigsaw, what's her name? Oh, Katerina Wilson. Katerina Wilson had an infected ovary. It was very bad. It was so bad it couldn't be saved, and her her life was threatened by it. She had it surgically removed. And sometime after that, she was abducted. And they said to her, Oh, oh my. God, your ovary is gone. That is horrible. How could you do that? That is just dreadful. That throws a monkey wrench in our program here. Think of all the eggs that we're not going to get from you. This is terrible for the program. They just berated her up one side and down the other. And this poor girl went into a paroxysm of guilt over, you know, how could she do this? Hurt the program like that, and here, here, he was practically dying with an infected ovary. He had to have it removed. First of all, they knew it. It was all just a feign. They feigned their their shock and surprise. No abductee could have an infected ovary, and the ETs not know it. That's my sense. They, I was about to interrupt and say, like, ooh, the yeah. thing that smells bad in this story is that they they would they would seem to know they, everything they about it. Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, they knew it. Second of all, it, if it was so important, they could have fixed it. 
they have the medical technology to fix it. And the third thing that my all point of the story for me that is so heartbreaking is that she completely uh, has has been her ability to discern her self interest is destroyed. She she's so taken over that she can no longer say, "Listen, guys." You know, go to hell. I had that ovary taken out because it, I needed to save my life. So eat shit. You know, <laughs> th- th- that's over. She All she can do upon being faced with this terrible onslaught of blame is to go and descend into a horrible feelings of guilt. See, and that that is what happens when you are capitulated. And, and it's a powerful transformation that is utterly inimical to the abductee. It is completely soul-destroying. And it's done by them just because that's what they're going to do. They're going to take you over, and they're going to use you uh, for uh, their to serve their agenda and their interests. And, and so that maybe is a good place to end this interview what do you think you well i was just out? looking at the clock we've just been rolling by yeah. two hours there's one question i want to ask and and uh Please. there was a uh you sent me a uh an article that you had wrote for the mufon journal and one of the things you talked about which i just have heard other people hint at i've never heard people talk about it uh, so openly but you wrote that um you've done a lot of lights in the sky investigation which was just people when they see some interesting thing moving in the sky and then they'll fill out a report and, and, uh, and you would get called in. Now you said that, uh, you estimated that probably 50% of the people who report seeing a UFO are unknowingly abductees. Yes. And just, I uh, just follow up on that. Cause that, that is something I sense, but, but I, I don't have the, uh, I'm not armed with any kind of data to really make that claim. Well, the reason that I um, have come to understand that is because I don't stop at the event that's being reported. I, I take the notes on the event itself, and then I say, okay, now let's talk about everything else. You know, I say, literally, I say, okay, what else has ever happened to you that you can't explain? Anything whatsoever in your entire life that you can't explain. And I've, I always do that with sightings. And generally, I get more stuff. And often, the more stuff that I get tells me that this person is an abductee. And I don't necessarily tell them that. But, um, so that's how, but in the meantime, a study was done, a scientific study was done that proves it. Oh, keep going. An an academic in um, Niagara County, New York, an anthropologist in a junior college there, did a two or three year study Using um, student graduate student uh, assistants, uh, where they surveyed the population, Niagara County, asking them a bunch of questions, like, "Did you ever?" They asked them UFO questions. On the one hand, did you ever see a UFO? How many times did you see a UFO? And then a bunch of other questions about what he calls paranormal experiences. Did you ever have paranormal experiences like this or that or the other? Any kind of paranormal. 
So what he finds is that people who have especially three or more UFO sightings report a plethora of paranormal experiences in addition to those UFO sightings. So what I the way I read that is that's the abduction evidence is all these other quote unquote paranormal experiences. These are abduction fragments and, and all the other things that the ETs introduce into your life. Um, if, if you're an abductee, they, 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 they periodically stimulate you in some way or other, with or without an abduction. Anyway. Um, so my sense is... That's the proof to me. And and do, what's the name of the do you have a do you have the name of this report or could I look it up online or? Uh, yes, um, I'll dig it out for you. Okay, don't know. You don't have to worry about this right now. I can put that in the show notes. The name of that report. Um, now, yeah, it's very, it's a very high quality study. Now, and, okay. Yeah. Oh, so my sense is, and this is one of the once again, like I don't have the data. This is just something I feel. My sense is that. Uh, and I'm going to just use generalities. I'm not going to use numbers. Is that the um, the abduction phenomena is very widespread? A small number of people have some sort of conscious memories enough that they can say, like, oh, you know, I might be an abductee, or they might say, I am an abductee. Um, that that my sense is is a small part of the overall pool of abductees. The larger pool, the much larger pool, is folks that either have zero memories at all or maybe just have a couple little fleeting things that like, isn't that odd? I have this funny story to tell and you know, whatever I came home from work that day and it was late. And then when I got home, I was two hours late and I saw a funny owl on the road. And, but uh, yeah, no, no, just nothing, just, just something to brush under the rug and not think about. Uh, my sense that is that the overwhelming majority of people who have had abduction experiences have no memory of that experience. Yes, uh, yes. Um, we'll have to lump them all together in a category called un- unaware, yeah, unaware abductees. And if they did, if they hadn't swept everything under the rug, they might be aware abductees. But it's really easy to sweep things under the rug. I think that's one of the things that I've said, the human nature, one thing that we as humans have as a remarkable skill that is fantastic is our ability at denial. Mm-hmm. I'm serious. I'm not, You're I'm, right I, about I, it, Mike. Yeah. I mean, I just look around us. I mean, it just happens. You just see it all the time, whether it's, you know, you know, women in abusive relationships or whether it's, you know, people having, you know, experiences that might involve ufos that are plain to see but they don't see it so yep hey this has been great i didn't i just i was when it's been going just a little bit over two hours this was uh uh i'm glad that you uh that you said yes to this now just you and i've had a lot of long conversations on the phone sometimes late at night and our topics have gone you know covered many of the pieces we discussed here and i thought this was important that this stuff get out there and and uh, and I will repeat that I am uh, much more agnostic about you know about these issues than you are. But at the same time, um, you know you have a very uh, important set of conclusions, and and uh, those need to be shared. So thanks a lot, Mike. I really appreciate it. 
and uh, you know, this is so much better than a real radio interview where, you know, I've had a dialogue. You know, you've talked and I've talked. It has been just one way. And I didn't in that. And I'll tell you what, I am not playing this. I did not play. This is not entertainment. What we just did. I, I don't, you know, like, uh, you know, some late night talk shows that's they, that it's there to entertain the people driving late at night or something, uh, or people with insomnia. It's there to entertain. This is, that is not my goal. My goal is just that there's important stuff. I feel like there's important stuff that you are digging into that nobody is talking about. Uh, or if they are talking about it, they're, you know, whispering about it or they're being, you know, blackballed from the, from the podcasting airwaves. Yep. Yep. Good talking, Mike. Great. It was wonderful to hear your voice. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Mike. I am chiming in uh, at the end of the editing process. Uh, uh, there wasn't much editing. I didn't really snip much out. There was a couple times uh, Elaine coughed or I mumbled, and I just cleaned that up a little bit. So you got to hear every freaking word of it, pretty much. Uh, now, Elaine was the state director for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. Uh, she was state director for Utah for I think the last 10 years. Now, she was. she's also been state director for, according to her bio, 25 years either for Washington, D.C. or Utah. And, and this is a big part of something we did not touch on at all during this interview. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a great big shakeup within the entirety of the organization of MUFON. A bunch of state directors got axed, just got fired, uh, which is interesting for a volunteer organization. Uh, she was one of them. Elaine was one of them. And she started an organization called the Committee to Reform MUFON. Uh, and she was pleading for more openness within the uh, community of MUFON. Uh, those issues are covered extremely well in a series of audio interviews done by Jerry Pippin. I will uh, link those to the show notes. It's extremely interesting hearing both her and Chase Kletsky uh, uh, describe their experiences with that organization. And, and Elaine has also done a lot of reporting and investigation into uh, Robert Bigelow from Bigelow Aerospace. This is something we didn't touch at all during our two hours. This is also very interesting. She has a lot to say on these subjects, too. Um, for these purposes, I will point you to uh, some, some uh, links in the show notes to get you to some of that information. If you've made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.